years ago, well, it's probably been 15 now, I was talking to a Pentecostal pastor, and he had asked me, uh, he said, well, do you speak in tongues? And at the time, I didn't. And I said, well, no. And he said, well, then you're not saved. You're not a Christian. And uh, he told me, if I didn't speak in tongues, I was lost. I grew up surrounded by Catholics and a lot of Catholics, not so many Lutherans, but I was told as a kid that if I wasn't Catholic, I was, I was lost. Um, been told that because I'm not Lutheran, I'm lost. Or because I wasn't sprinkled, I'm lost. Or because I didn't go to this church or that church or hold on to that belief, then I'm lost. I'm, I'm not right with God. Have you ever had somebody tell you that you're not really a Christian or you're not really saved because you haven't done X, Y, or Z, or because you haven't done A, B, and C. There was a church in Galatia in the book of, well, it's the book of Galatians, but there's a, there was a church in the New Testament called Galatia. They faced a very similar situation. Galatia was a Roman providence. It was a city. It was located in what's considered today southern Turkey. When Paul was making his first missionary journeys in the book of Acts 13, if you want to read it, he established this church in a town called Galatia. People were getting saved. He was traveling with his homie uh, Barnabas, and they were just operating with signs and miracles and wonders. People were getting saved. And at this town at Galatia, they started a church. Well, he couldn't spend all of his time there, so he went on down the road and started other churches, uh, Ephesus and Corinthians and things like that. He got word that after he had left, there were some people that moved in and started really questioning his teachings. And they began to, to wonder, uh, some of the people there at the church, did, did we get saved? Are, are we right with God? And what was going on is inside that little church at Galatia, there was a group of, of people who came out of Judaism. They are called Judaizers. And they basically said to the folks who were coming into the faith of Christianity... You can love Jesus, but you still have to be circumcised. You, you can love Jesus, but you have to observe all the holy days. You can love Jesus, but you still have to go through the mikvah. Um, you, you can love Jesus, but you still have to do all of the law. You can love Jesus, but you still have to do all this other stuff, or you're not saved. Paul's letter addresses that thing going on in that church. He's addressing that simple message of, the good news that he left with them, and now they've tacked on everything else. That group and that church were called the Judaizers. They were saying you can follow Jesus, but you still have to follow the law rigidly, and you still have to worship on the Sabbath day. You still have to observe all the Jewish customs plus Jesus. Today it kind of sounds like this. You trust Jesus, but you still have to be baptized. Some people would say in immersion, going all the way under. Some people would say sprinkled. You can love Jesus, but you have to be Catholic. Or you can love Jesus or be Luther and be Lutheran. Or love Jesus and be Baptist. It's always something attached to it to be saved. Or, or lots of times. And if that's the case, we, we kind of wonder and we kind of fixate on the plus. If it's Jesus plus baptism, I'm wondering if did I get my baptism right. If it's Jesus plus being a part of a church. Do I have the right church? If it's Jesus plus tithing, am I giving enough? Not surprisingly, then, it seems that 
Paul had a very special place in his heart for this church at Galatia. He, he had a passion for them, and it, that passion overflows in his letter. You can see it. And when we read between the lines, I got a feeling that there's this group of, of Jewish Christians who, who kind of, maybe they came from Jerusalem, I don't know. Like I said, I'm reading between the lines. And maybe they came down and said, hey, we're from headquarters. And the, the apostles there in Jerusalem sent us down to set you straight. We've, we've got these credentials. You've got to be Jewish plus Jesus. Now that might seem outrageous to us, and it is. But to be fair, at this particular time, Christianity was just a sect of Judaism. It was an offshoot of Judaism. Not everybody got what Christianity meant. Not even the church. Not even Christians. So they were in those formative stages of what we have embraced today as Christianity. Now these Jewish Jesus lovers, they didn't know what to do when somebody fell in love with Jesus who wasn't Jewish first. What do you do with the pagan who gets saved? What do you do with the person who, who worshipped down at Ephesus at the altar of Diana? What happens when they get saved? So these Jews were doing the best they could with what they had. They didn't have the Bible to go to like you. They didn't have the New Testament to go to like you and I do. And they, they were thinking, well, you know, Jesus was a Jew. The apostles were Jews. They were law-abiding Jews. They were, uh, they were a law-observant Jews. So if that was okay for Jesus and the disciples, then if you fall in love with Jesus and want to get close to God, then you've got to be like Jesus and be a Jew first. Oh, and by the way, that included circumcision. Man, that's a big deal if you're a 30-year-old man. And you've got to be circumcised, and you've never been circumcised before in your life, but that circumcision to the Jew was the initial step of obedience into their faith of Judaism. I mean, that's what they knew. So I'm not going to cast a whole lot of stones. But Paul took an opposition to the message that these guys were preaching. This is what he says in the book of Galatians chapter 1. He says, I am astonished. And if you have your Bibles, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, if you want to turn your Bible on. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and you're turning to a, and I quote these words, you're turning to a different gospel. Which is really no gospel at all, Paul says. Evidently some people were throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Paul just flat out calls it, it's another gospel. It's a different gospel. What these so-called Judaizers were offering wasn't it an, uh, was not an alternative interpretation of the gospel. They weren't op offering an alternative Christian tradition. They were offering a different gospel. They were offering a gospel that wasn't the gospel that Paul had preached about. The Galatians were basically committing spiritual treason. They were going against what Paul said was the gospel. And Paul said that even if an angel preached that you become Jewish first before you become a Jesus lover, what Paul basically says is even if an angel preached that to you, they're wrong and they're cursed. Literally, they're damned. Paul was saying if anybody preaches another message other than Jesus alone to save, a curse falls on them. So what's, what is this gospel Paul preached about? What is this message that... that Paul gave to the early church and Jesus revealed to us in his ministry. Paul states it very clearly in verse 4. It's easy. This is what he says. He says, Christ gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. And that's fairly straightforward. That's pretty brief. It's to the point. Paul says it's through Jesus. It's through what Jesus did on the cross. And 
Paul, of course, sees Jesus giving Himself on the cross so all of humanity can be freed from the power and from the penalty of sin. He knows that Jesus went to the cross so people could be right with God. That's the Gospel. Now the crux of the issue is how do we get that Gospel? How do we get saved? How do we get the benefit of what Jesus did for us on the cross? Essentially, the Judaizers and Galatians were saying, by becoming a part of the covenant through circumcision. You are right with God by an act. You're right by, with God by doing something. You're right by God by, you're right with God when you operate in a certain way. And Paul would say, whoa, 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 slow your roll. That's not the case at all. It's not about ritual. It's not about code. It's not about this. What Paul says is that it's about faith. It's about believing. It's about trusting. Paul said that there's only one gospel and that we're saved through trusting in Jesus. Nothing else. And if we say that we have to do something else to receive the gospel, that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel of the New Testament. That's not the gospel of the Bible. If we say we have to receive the gospel and do something else, that's not, that is a different gospel, literally, using Paul's words. Uh, a few weeks ago, we flew, we flew out of Lambert Airport and we flew down to Raleigh to go see the uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, to see the seminary that Ridge is going to be going to. When we went to Lambert, we were not the only flight leaving that day, but when we got on American Airlines, that flight, that was the only flight leaving at that time to get us to, to Raleigh, North Carolina at the time we needed to be. That was the flight. Now, I could have got on of one of 133 different flights that day. But the only flight that took me to where I wanted to be, the only flight that took me to the destination I wanted to get to was that flight. What Paul is saying, if you want to be right with God, if you want to be in right relationship, right fellowship with the Lord, there's all kinds of planes out there. There's all kinds of different Gospels. But if you want to be right with God, then the plane call number on the sign says J-E-S-U-S. That's the only plane that will get you there. And Paul is saying, don't let somebody trip you, uh, trick you or trip you up and get you on another plane. Because this is the only gospel that does it. There's only one flight that gets you to the spot you want to be, and it's a flight of faith. And if you take a different flight, you wind up at a different location. A different gospel, a fake gospel, cannot, will not, never has saved you. And it won't. Because the gospel is all about Jesus. And I think the big part of the problem with these other gospels is that these other gospels, they make us take our eyes off of Christ. I think a big part of the problem is that when we look at other gospels, they take our eyes off Jesus because the gospel is all about Jesus, not Jesus plus. When I have to do something to come to Jesus, what happens is I will take my focus off Jesus and put it on the plus. Put it on the other thing. Put it on the other stuff. Am I doing right? Am I doing right enough for God to love me? Am I doing it enough for God to love me? Am I doing it right for God to love me? Don't let, don't, don't let the enemy tell you that there is some other way to be saved other than fixing your eyes on Jesus, because that's the only way. Have you, uh, how do you get saved? You fix your eyes on Christ. If you're experiencing doubt, fix your eyes on Christ. 
If you're feeling the pressure to compromise, fix your eyes on Christ. Y'all, it's so easy to distort the gospel by adding little bits here and there. Until one, way, until one day we discovered that we're not even on that plane anymore. Because when we got saved, it was Jesus only, but now it's Jesus and this and Jesus and that and Jesus and all these other things. If I don't do something just right, then God's not going to love me. And when that happens, we kind of begin to believe something different. And usually those, those additions or those pluses we put on, they come from a genuine desire to want to be like God or to grow in our faith. Those add-ons come from, I believe, typically a place that uh, we, we want to be with God. They might even be biblical. But if we say it's Jesus plus this other stuff, that's not the gospel of Jesus. There's lots of different gospels out there today. Now, we may not call them gospel, but they're different gospels than the grace of God displayed through Christ. You see, that gospel message and the salvation that comes through Jesus, we didn't earn it, we don't deserve it, we can't work for it. It's given to us by grace because God loves us. We receive that by faith, believing, trusting. Well, Mike, you say there's other gospels out there. What would some of them be, Mike? Help me understand that a little bit. Okay. Number one, there's something out there called what's modern Gnosticism. And you're thinking, well, Mike, I've never heard that, not even on the news. What is modern Gnosticism? It's a different gospel that's out there today. I'll tell you what that sounds like. It's like the person who told me that I needed to speak in tongues if I was saved. Now, speaking in tongues or having a prayer language is biblical. I pray in tongues now, and it's helped my prayer life, I can tell you that, but it doesn't make me any more of a Christian than somebody who doesn't. It doesn't make me any more of a lover of Jesus than somebody who doesn't. In fact, if I read Galatians right, and I think Paul would say that the person who told me that if I don't speak in tongues, then I'm not saved, Paul would probably say that person's not even a Christian because they're preaching another gospel. So modern Gnosticism is out there, and anytime somebody says you have to have a certain way of believing, a secret revelation, you're probably dealing with that different gospel. There's a day and diets type of gospel. Maybe you've come across people who say that we should be having church on Saturday night and only on Saturday night because that's the Sabbath day, Seventh day Adventist. And if you don't worship on the Sabbath on a Saturday night, then you're not a Christian. Or if you're not doing some other ritual, you're not a Christian. Paul says elsewhere that the gospel makes all those other things irrelevant. Even if you don't come to church on a weekend, you know God still loves you. Even though you don't do everything right, God still loves you. Hey, you can even go to heaven whether you've been through the waters of baptism or not. I've seen lots of people saved on their deathbed. And I'll be honest with you, they made a confession of faith and i got a feeling I'm going to see them at the gate, although they've never been baptized because it's not baptism plus Jesus, it's Jesus that saves. So, more often people will not judge your salvation based on those things, you know. Um, they, won't, uh, they won't base your, your, your salvation on whether you've been baptized or not, or maybe because you go to church on Sunday as compared to Saturday. But they'll look at you and they'll think, well, that person's immature. I've got more stuff than they do. I'm more mature as a Christian. I'm more developed as a Christian. They'll judge your maturity and your seriousness. 
prosperity gospel is another gospel that's out there. And we hear that word thrown around, and even in the last six months, I know that somebody has said, Mike, what is the prosperity gospel? Here it is. I think the prosperity gospel is just one more insidious teaching inside the church that's really taken a hold and got some traction. And what the prosperity gospel basically is, is this. If I give to God, then He'll bless me. If I give to God, then my finances and my family or my whatever will go well. If I have enough faith, I'll get my healing. If I have enough faith in God, I'm going to get my breakthrough. When I have enough faith in God, I'll go to another level spiritually. You might know it as what it's called. It's the prosperity gospel. And this is what happens. It, it leaves us with a terrible burden. Because if my cancer doesn't go away, then in my mind I'll tell myself it's because I didn't have enough faith. Or if my marriage fails, and I prayed and prayed and prayed for that marriage to succeed, but it still fails. Apparently I didn't pray right. And if we're really, really loosey-goosey with it, it can almost turn into a type of a witchcraft thing. If I do this for God, then He's going to give me something back. If I do this for God, then He's going to, he's going to give me something. Y'all, the problem is that isn't that it teaches another, uh, the problem isn't that it teaches another path to salvation, it redefines salvation altogether. Jesus said, blessed are the poor and woe to the rich. But the prosperity doctrine reverses that. Blessed are the rich and woe the poor. It's almost borders on witchcraft sometimes because you're trying to manipulate God to do, your, to do what you want Him to do instead of just simply trust and to rely on Him. There's a social gospel that's out there. It's a, it's a funny kind of way. The, uh, it's the prosperity gospel's twin on the other end of the spectrum. It's the social gospel. The social gospel, the gospel does have a social element to it. The gospel of Jesus has a social element to it. Because we live a life of justice and a life of righteousness. But very often, the social gospel divorces this from the cross. It's talking about us making society better. Us making culture better. Us making the nation better. Us making uh, society better. It's about us. Like the prosperity gospel, it makes salvation more about this world than the world to come. The social gospel will emphasize things like racism, poverty, immigration, the alphabet people, CRT, welfare. And often what happens, we, we have these things and, and people will say, well, you know, if you love Jesus, you're going to be involved in all these things and make sure that justice is done and make sure that, that righteousness is, is standing. If you're a real Christian, you're going to do that. But what that does, it, it misses the key element that Humanity is broken. We can't fix squat. The reason why the world's in this shape that it's in is because this is, this is what happens when we've kicked God out of everything. Church, if we don't put Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, in all these social issues, if we divorce Jesus from those things, we're just another hashtag movement trying to make things better, try to get something going. 
instead of trying to create something in the image of God, we try to create things in the images we think we should, they should be. We may be even doing good, but if Jesus isn't the solution, listen to this, if Jesus isn't the solution, then the answer's wrong. If Jesus isn't the answer, we're never going to see an end of racism. If Jesus isn't the answer, we'll never see an end of poverty. If Jesus isn't the answer, we'll never see an end to injustice. Church, the gospel of Scripture is all about Jesus. Not Jesus plus. Jesus. Of course, there is a way to live in the kingdom of God. There is a way to live in the kingdom of God after you get Jesus. We've got all those laws in the Old Testament and those laws are there so we can keep sin in check. The reason we know that it's wrong to lie, don't lie. The reason we know that it's wrong to kill, thou shalt not murder. The reason that we know that it's wrong to cheat on your spouse, thou shalt not commit adultery. The reason why that we know that it's wrong to, to want something that doesn't belong to us because the Bible says thou shalt not covet. You see, those things keep sin in check. The Gospel of Scripture is all about Jesus, though. Of course, there's a way to live in the kingdom of God. It's not about lawlessness. It's not what the critics would say. It's not that. It's a lifestyle that flows out of the gospel of Jesus. It is a lifestyle that flows out of your salvation that He and He alone, not Jesus plus, brings. It begins with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. The problem of Galatia was that they were making the gospel about what they had to do to be saved and to become part of God's people rather than just to embrace what God had already done through Jesus on the cross. We don't have to do anything else to be loved by God because Jesus did for all of that work for us on Calvary Church. Your salvation is not based on a spiritual experience. It's not based about walking an aisle. Your salvation is not based on whether you were baptized or sprinkled. Your, your salvation is not based on the name on the front of your church. Your salvation is based on Jesus. Nothing else. Nothing else. Is Jesus the center of your faith? And I'll even make it simple for you. Is, is Jesus the center of your religion? Is He the center of your life? Because it's all about Jesus. Man, a few years ago, we went down to, we took a cruise to Cancun, Mexico. And besides buying questionable stuff down there in those markets, Ridge went down there for one thing. He didn't go down there for Cuban cigars. He went down there for a fake Rolex. We went all the way to Cancun, Mexico for a fake Rolex. I don't know how much he paid for it. I don't know if it was 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 bucks. I don't know. But he's, he still wears that thing. And the reason why that Rolex was, was kind of a novelty gift down there, and the reason why whenever you got off the boat and you made your, your call into port, you went up there and you saw everybody selling stuff and you saw the fake watches, the reason why everybody wanted a fake Rolex is because a regular low, uh, Rolex, a real Rolex, will cost you thousands of dollars. A Folex will cost you 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 dollars. Knowing Ridge, that guy probably paid him to take it because uh, Ridge is really, really good. Amen. But the reason why everybody wanted those fake Rolexes is because somewhere down the road there's a real Rolex that cost thousands and thousands of dollars. 
And it's the real deal. It's the authentic thing. Now this thing that was there in Cancun, he still has it. And if you want to tell time, you better get another watch because that watch don't tell time. It's right twice a day. But the reason why that watch was so special is because that Rolex, even that fake Rolex, it's, it's there and it means something because there is a real Rolex out there. Those fake Rolexes are big sellers for one reason. is because there are real Rolexes that exist. If there weren't real ones somewhere, there wouldn't be a market for the fake ones. If there wasn't real ones out there, there would be no reason for a counterfeit. If there wasn't real ones out there, there'd be no reason for a less than genuine. These knockoffs own their very existence to the public's desire to have the original. Jesus warned his followers that in the last days there will be no shortage of counterfeit prophets, lying preachers, erroneous doctrine. Jesus warns his followers in the last day there's going to be all kinds of false stuff being said, even by those who should know better. So we, wouldn't be, so we shouldn't be surprised that there are wolves in sheep's clothing at the church. And not only wolves in sheep's clothing, but church, there's wolves in shepherd's clothing. Preaching other gospels. Preaching Jesus plus this or Jesus plus that. We certainly shouldn't allow them to cause us to question the truth of the gospel. We shouldn't let them and those thoughts make us question the truth of the good news. But today, what we see in our culture, the wolf's not even worried about putting on sheep's clothing. It is an obvious assault and attack on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Other gospels do exist because the real thing exists. You never make a forgery of a forgery. You never make a counterfeit of a counterfeit. You make the forgery and the counterfeit of the real thing. Church, there's only one real gospel. There is only one gospel that saves. There is only one gospel that restores. There is only one gospel that makes us right with God. And it's not a Jesus plus gospel. It's not a Baptist gospel. A Lutheran gospel. A Catholic gospel. It's the gospel of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. None else. Don't allow the father of lies and confusion to shake your faith in the gospel of Jesus. Because that's what, he set, that's what he's setting out to do. Don't allow the media or the woke crowd or the alphabet people or people in your family or people you go to school with, even professors or teachers, don't let your co-workers or the state weaken your belief in the word of God being timeless. Don't let the voices around you distract you to get you to think that the Word of God is anything other than eternal and inerrant and sharper than any two-edged sword. These are the very words of God, or they're not. I believe they are. Jesus is either the way to salvation, or He's not. I believe He is. God is either real, or He's not. I believe He is. And like Joshua before me, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We all have a choice to make, man. We all have a decision to make. 
we're either with the gospel of Jesus or, with another, or we are rolling with another gospel. Hold on to your faith. Hold on to God. Hold on to His Word. The Bible says that in the end days there will be a great falling away that happens in church. I believe that what we're seeing and what we're witnessing now in this time in history is that falling away. Even in the church, uh, even in the church, people are falling away. In our society, church, we're at an all-time low as a nation. It's down to 81. 81% of America thinks that there is a God. But you've got to understand something. Ten years ago, it was over 90%. The days that we're living in, Jesus called them like this. For false Christs and false prophets, lying preachers will arise and they'll show great signs and great wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. That's you and me. People who should know better. People who know the difference between a fake gospel and the real gospel. Church, in these last days, you hold on to your God you hold on to God's Word. Do not let anyone get you to believe a different gospel. Keep Jesus at the center of your faith. Keep Jesus at the center of your life so you won't be misled. Almighty God, I thank you for allowing me to come out and preach on Cedar Street. Father, to speak your Word into the atmosphere, to speak your Word to your to your uh, church. Father, what an honor and what a privilege. Lord, I pray for those folks who've heard this message. I pray that it would just seep into our hearts and take root. And when the enemy and the father of all lies and confusion comes to us, we'll be able to pick this up out of the pocket of the faith of our heart and tell him to shut up in the name of Jesus. I'm following him. I'm following the Savior. Lord God, let our faith be steadfast. And it's in Christ's name we pray. And amen.